This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome to the No Stroke Podcast. We are at season three, episode three. How are you tonight, Michael? David, always a pleasure. Um, I'm keeping pretty well. Uh, I have a bit of a anticipation brewing, you know, with the with the big move coming up. It'll be exciting. Get out of uh, Connecticut, the the parents' bedroom, well, my childhood bedroom. Big move for a 30 year old man, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, I spent some time in Ireland, relocated. <laughs> Things are things are changing, but um, and here we are. Yeah. It's moving yeah. fast for you, and I'm excited for you. Um, we know you've been broadcasting essentially over the last three seasons from just about every undisclosed yeah. location. So it'll be nice to have some some consistency, <laughs> some regular backdrops and consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And with yeah. that, <clears throat> just briefly, could you give us an update? We've all following your <clears throat> your new ABC model for the new year. Um, maybe recap that briefly for us. No Apple watch yet. Okay. Um, so none on that. Um, I have researched a boxing facility. I think I updated you on the last go. So I will be starting that again. Once we get down there in February is the goal. You know, it might take some time to kind of get my bearings down there, but you know, I'm hoping between that, you know, some yoga and, and I think the episode today, inspired me to get back out running you know last year i was running a little bit as well um so you know to bring that back into the repertoire wouldn't it be a bad thing it's, mm-hmm. that's that's what i was just nice kind to of, get on pace yeah i was yeah. planting a little bit of a seed during the episode i hope you didn't think you that were, was just coincidence you were, you were. I, so, I i knew what you were doing there sorry so, um, so, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep on you for that as things progress and and you mentioned new york and and kind of tied into in the news uh before we introduce mm-hmm. our guest for this week tell us about in the news and the connections you made with uh initiative that's going on in the in the in the stroke world really or in the educational component that was uh really interesting to hear when you brought it up yeah for sure um yeah, this one kind of sits close to both of us. Um, so I was uh, I was cleaning out my my bedroom again from from childhood, and came across <laughs> came across a magazine from 2014, Heart and Stroke. So this guy on the cover, um, those that are looking uh, or watching on YouTube, um, his name is Corey Corey Weissman. Um, he's a basketball player. I believe he's from Jersey. Um, that's where he grew up but again had a stroke at a young age um, and, and kind of used hoops to get him through that journey uh, so I was quite curious kind of to dig into it I, again I, I remember breezing through it you know I see it you know a few years ago um, but I you know the power of Instagram looked as a Instagram account up saw that he was connected in doing a few cool projects um, actually connected with two kids that I played basketball with over in Ireland that I think they went to university together. I can't, I haven't tied the pieces together just yet. Um, but he was connected in with this um, group called um, Stroke of Genius, right? Um, so 
these three guys, uh, Kyle Manning Menel Camp. Um, sorry, Kyle, I absolutely butchered your name there. Um, Corey Weissman and then Ty Hawkins. Um, you know, they they three guys. They had strokes three generations apart. Kyle had his stroke twenty four years ago. I believe Corey had his eleven years ago, and Ty had his um, just two years ago. Um, but they're all basketball players and, and kind of had this mutual bond of hoops. Uh, and they're putting together a premiere, uh, a, a premiere of, of a little short documentary film that they put together that um, Kyle, who's going to be a guest with us in the next episode, he actually directed. Um, and pretty much they meet up at one of New York City's famed uh, basketball courts and play a game of pig. And during the game, they share their personal stories of recovery and discovery. So it's um, it's showing January 30th, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it will be the premiere uh, again next week in, or in, in next episode. We'll kind of dig into that deeper with Kyle, talk about, you know, his inspiration behind it, um, a little bit of his story. Um, and, and, and I think it will be, you know, quite exciting uh, as well as because I know you have a connection in with Corey as well and, and the doc at the movie that came out. So maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. When you pinged me on, on, on the making the connections there, I immediately was brought back to, um, I, uh, Corey Weissman's story was on, and I'm filming it still, um, I believe, um, um, available that, um, I was looking for ways that my kids were still pretty young after my stroke. It took me a couple of years to try to really um, figure out ways to kind of help them understand the stroke, you know, the the perspective from someone, especially being their dad who had survived a stroke. And we, we sat down one night and, and watched that. We were always looking for coming across uh, looking for sports related movies. So we came across that and uh, my oldest son saw that it, 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 um, and Corey, the main character had had a stroke and we sat down and watched it. And I think it was really, it was really, um, um, uh, interesting to hear their point of view and really I uh, could see that they were, uh, you know, it, it opened up the dialogue. So they asked some questions about, did you go through that dad? And it was just a way that could tie in something that interests them, but it was, uh, we need, you know, we, we basically need more, more stories like that. So it's so great that they're doing this and I'm really looking forward to that premiere and bringing them on. Um, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, Mike, in today's, uh, today's guests that we're introducing, I'm so, so grateful that they're doing what they do and what, you know, for, I think we teased it long enough that, um, you know, um, we're bringing back on Carolyn Goggin and this time, um, her husband, uh, Travis Eldridge, who Carolyn, for many who don't may not know, um, she, um, put faith in us and gave us our first interview, uh, um, um, on our, our podcast. And, um, we're really grateful that, um, she's bringing, coming back to us to tell her the next part of her journey. And along with that, bringing the perspective that and the insight that Charis is, uh, is able to share, um, that, that, that often doesn't get shared that much, um, with, um, you know, seeing the, the caregiver side and the perspective, especially in a young couple. So, 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited. This was a great, great, like one of my, you know, we, 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 we gotta, we gotta be careful when we rank because <laughs> we're ran, we rank our magic wand top answers, but this is, you know, it's always a pleasure. It's like, welcome an old friend back. And it was a pleasure meeting her husband and what a great team. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah, it was a brilliant episode. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of going in the theme of, you know, what, what we'll even have next week with, with Kyle and kind of talking about, you know, the stories of Ty and, 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 um, and Corey in terms of, you know, using basketball as their motivation, um, you know, um, Caroline and Travis are, you know, training for the marathon. And it kind of goes back to that theme that, you know, we, we've said before, training like an athlete, you know, um, and athletes also can't do it themselves. Athletes have, you know, that support system around them, um, which I think Kyle, or sorry, um, Travis speaks to quite strongly here. And, you know, for us, it's the first episode that we had that perspective, you know, really brought to life. Um, and I know me as a caregiver, you know, I, I mentioned it on the episode, but, uh, you know, it's really, that discussion really helped me as well and kind of put, brought some things to life. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, this might be one of our shortest intros, David, but let's, <laughs> well, let's, let's, keep let's it leave way. it there. Let's and let's just say there. for, for, uh, for, for the opportunity for, for Caroline now to introduce her own episode is really cool too, because for those who don't know, she is the welcome voice of every episode of the no stroke cop podcast. So I'm going to leave it at that. And let's, uh, let's start this episode, Mike. Awesome. Can't wait. So I hope you guys enjoy This is episode three on season three with Caroline Goggin and Travis David. I was going to butcher his surname. You asked him how to pronounce it. Eldridge. Eldridge. Welcome, uh, Caroline and Travis, to the No Stroke Podcast. In some ways, I feel like we're welcoming back an old friend with Caroline, but we heard a a lot about your husband when you were gracious enough to be take a chance with us at the No Stroke Podcast and be our first, our inaugural guest back when this all started many seasons ago. Yeah, And we're welcoming you back and we're welcoming you back um, with your husband, Travis Eldridge. So welcome to the No Stroke Podcast. Thank you for having us back and thanks for having Travis on. Yeah, I'm excited. This will be great. And of course, um, our um, we couldn't do this without my co-host Mike. So, Mike, um, we've had a we've had a crazy week here, but we're so happy to have this team back on um, to really um, dive a little deeper into the next phase of the recovery process, and um, we'll let you um, both talk about. What I'd like to say, we dropped the news first, but it, it's been out there leaked a little bit on social. But um, I'm I'm just saying that I'm wearing a little bit of some old swag that maybe has given this away. But please tell us, um, tell us a little bit about. Um, I mean, we can kind of go back in, and, and for those that haven't watched, listened to the first episode where you joined us, Carolyn, um, maybe um, tell us about where um, where you are now and what 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 what's what's this new um venture or this new mm. commitment that you both have taken on i like your swag it's I good think swag it's perfect is, for the episode thank you 
Thanks. So David's new favorite word is swag. He's <laughs> so hip now. <laughs> so I am two years and three or four months post-stroke yeah. now. And we are getting ready to run the Boston Marathon in April. And as David Sweatshirt will tell you, we are running for Teddy's team, which is Teddy Bruski, former New England Patriot, his stroke survivors team. But it's not just stroke survivors. It's people who have lost loved ones to stroke and been impacted. And we will run about 550 miles throughout our training process. And we hope to raise $18,000 for stroke research through the American Stroke Association for other survivors. And it's a really kind of terrifying, but exciting challenge that we're taking on. Yeah. And for us too, I mean, with Caroline's whole experience, um, even before the stroke running was something that we had started to learn to do together. We had run a couple of different half marathons, um, before that. And so we had really started to enjoy doing longer runs together. It was a way for us to spend time together. So then after she had her stroke, one of the parts of the recovery process that she really wanted to do was to run a half marathon again after it. Um, the pandemic then hit, we were supposed to run one in Providence, uh, in, was it May of 2020? So that turned virtual, but we did it by ourselves. And that was a really cool experience to, I I know for her to know, like, I can still do this. And so this is obviously you double a a half marathon to turn into a full one. It's a whole different undertaking, but, um, I think a a big part of the recovery process for her. And I I know something that makes me feel good when she knows all that she can accomplish still. Perfect. And that's super exciting guys. Yeah. We're uh, we're really excited. Good for you. And training in the heart of winter to get your, (laughs) it's really hard. Uh, I I know it's cold in New England. (laughs) Obviously we lived here for Travis six years myself five years so we know it's cold up here but the last two weeks have been so brutal and tomorrow morning at 7 30 we have to leave the house to run 10 and a half miles i think the feels like is five or seven yeah so a lot lots of layers i appreciate and admire all of those people who have gotten to the finish line in Boston in years past who have trained up here because you know that is dedication and commitment that goes into that. Uh, so, yeah. I, it, it, admittedly, you've been dealt a, a tough weather hand today. Yeah. So you will, um, let's just say the, there'll be sunny and 55 in April because you That's deserve all want. the training you've been through. And, and it, um, you, you kind of have little competitive advantage since you moved up to the Boston area and you kind of, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of you can, <laughs> you know, you can kind of see that kind of that, that thing that everyone talks about up there in terms of heartbreak, we'll call it a little, a little hill, right? A little hill. Little I hill. mean, hill. more like a series of hills. <laughs> everyone kept talking about heartbreak hills. So the first time we went and we watched Boston in person, I'm thinking we're a mile 20. We're right by the running company. Okay, so this is the hill. And then we moved back to, up to Newton because Travis had lived here originally when he moved to New England. And I ran down to Newt Wellesley Hospital and I'm running up. And I go, one hill, it's two hills. That's three hills. I don't know what this hill is that they're talking about, but it's a lot harder than just one. So it's, it, it's definitely, I'm sure it's going to be very challenging, but it, it, you know, it's we'll a climb. It it's yeah. a climb. Now, 
Um, I have to go yeah. back to, you know, Travis, you, you mentioned that um, it, how important running was to the two you and obviously is um, and getting back to that point where you could do that half and now setting your sights on Boston. Um, when, if we can kind of go back to when this life-changing, you know, I think everyone's course it, in, in the path that they think they're on can, you know, you, you, you can be dealt, um, you know, difficult things. Uh, Caroline mentioned earlier, this happened earlier, early in your marriage, correct? And, and this was, this was a time when um, this is not something you're thinking about is hospital visits and, and follow-up visits and uncertain, you know, maybe diagnosis and getting more, um, you know, sometimes um, um, questions and answers right away. Um, what can you, can you bring us into sort of how you, um, you know, what were you feeling as, uh, on the other side, as, as a, as a spouse in, in, in a caregiver? It's, um, I think the, the biggest feeling you have, especially after the, the ultimate reaction is just like, you're, you're scared and frightened and you, you just don't know what to do right away. So you, I, it was all reaction in terms of calling 911. Um, so that that's your first feeling. But I think the, the best word I could describe was helpless for the entire time you're in the hospital because you're there, but, and obviously you are just heartbroken and you've, I mean, I know I, as much as physically painful as it was for her, I know like all of those pains just like hit me emotionally because you just don't, you're there and all these doctors are coming in and all you want to do is try to help because you're like, well, what can I do? And you just feel so helpless because there's nothing you can do. You just have to kind of sit there and let the specialists do what they're supposed to do. Um, and so that just drags on and on. And I, I kept, I mean, for me, it was always like, I almost, it was like, you wish that you could take on that burden instead. It's like, can we trade places? Like, let me have the stroke. I, I don't want that for her. I let me have to deal with that. Um, because it's just this helpless feeling that you just, there, there's nothing you can do. Um, so I think that's probably the best way I could describe it is that you just have, like, you're just sitting there and all you want to do is do so because as a spouse, and I mean, we had only been married three weeks, but what I had learned in, in a short amount of time, and obviously I cared for her for much longer than that. Um, but all you want to do is make your spouse's life easier and make them happier. Like that's kind of your number one goal. And when you don't feel like you can do that, and especially for us so early in our marriage, you just, it, it's just so, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I can't speak for you, but it was really difficult to sit back some days when I was cleared to be alone and he would go to work and to get into my thoughts and think about the fact that we were only married a few weeks and it was my body who that failed. And I put our marriage in this position and you, I put a lot of blame on myself in that, in those moments. And that was something that I would come, he would come home and I would talk to him about it. And, you know, and it, and it kills me because the last thing I want to feel is like that she feels like she's letting us down. Like that, because that in no way, shape or form was she like, she had no ability to change this. It's just the hand that we were dealt. So it's, you just like, all I wanted her was to feel like that there's nothing that she could do. And that like, we're just going to get this through to, 
get through this together. But I knew she felt bad. And I just felt helpless because I wanted to do anything I possibly could to make everything be back to normal for her. But you can't. There's, I mean, unfortunately, unless you're a miracle worker, which I unfortunately am not, there's, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> I didn't marry you from that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I mean, that's so well said. I appreciate, you know, you sharing that. And, and I'll, I'll have to ask a follow-up question. So when Caroline's cleared and you're back to work, admittedly, like my wife will say this later. And I think I shared on the, on the show that, you know, there were these stroke checks and they were these little check-ins. Did you, did you feel, did you feel at all, Travis, um, guilty, like wondering if she's going to be okay during that transition? Like it happened and, and was there any, um, um, concern about, you know, returning to life after the stroke? I remember, um, I mean, the, the hardest thing, it was really hard because, um, like for me, I felt like at some point I need to go back to work. And so I was trying to figure out like, how do I do things? But then I didn't want to leave her because I knew how many, like, especially not alone and she wasn't alone for a number of weeks as we had so many people that were so helpful um, in coming and spending time with us. Um, but that was scary. But then the, the biggest thing was like, I remember the first day that she went back to work and she was going to be on the air and I was at work and on my computer, I was watching the live stream because like all, and I had this pit in my stomach of like all oh, I want everything I just want everything to be perfect mm -hmm. because I I know how much she is kind of at times a perfectionist and she yeah. there there's things that she um like she just wants to be perfect all the time and um and so all like I had this pit in my stomach watching as she came on the air because I knew like all I wanted was everything to be perfect and for her to feel comfortable and feel like like I, I knew she needed a win. Like she needed something to feel normal. And so as so I was so ecstatic when she went on and it was smooth and she she looked like the same person and everything was right. And she got that win. And that was of the whole experience, that was one of the first times um I think I felt was like, okay, like we're, we're going to be back. Like this is, we're going to be back to normal and, and things are, things are going to be all right. Yeah. That's beautiful. And you know, you guys, again, so young for this to happen to you, right. Where you see friends and, you know, kind of going off and starting families, doing things that, you know, normal people your age do. Right. And, and you're going through this circumstance which you think only happens to old people right um, yeah. yeah and yeah, so I'm... like bring it bring us a little further down the road now you know you you've kind of you're now two about two years out like mm -hmm. I, I could only imagine you know when we think of stroke especially young stroke my mother again had a stroke at 28 she was told never have children again right you know when I was so I was six months old you know those conversations I'm sure had to happen. You know, what, what was some of like, you know, did you have support in that? Like, again, you're having conversations at, you know, 30 years old that you wouldn't think you were going to have, um, you know, no. what, what was that process like? I definitely thought that the first time we would stay at a hospital together would be when we had a child. 
So <laughs> to have it be three weeks into marriage and four stroke, which as you mentioned, Michael, like um, only older people have it because that's what we're taught and we're told. And so that was shocking in and of itself. And then when we got further into the quest to find answers and to figure out how this happened and what caused it, I was initially diagnosed with a very serious and very rare clotting condition. And that was really scary because they had put me on warfarin, uh, Coumadin, the blood thinner. And they had said to me, this is lifelong. If you have this condition, you will be on this for the rest of your life. And we would ask doctor after doctor, is that safe? What do our lives look like 40, 50 years down the road? Because everything I read online is that that's not safe. And we were kind of given a, "Eh, well, cross that bridge when you get to it. And then we were also told, you know, if you would like to have children, you are immediately high risk you will have to go and see specialists. It's going to be a very difficult process. So we're three weeks. I mean, by the time we had that conversation, maybe six weeks married (laughs) and we're not thinking about, we don't have kids. We have a dog. So, I mean, it's been two and a half years of marriage. So we're not thinking about that yet. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, that's a really heavy conversation. And it really kind of makes you think and overanalyze everything yeah you know not just the present but the future at that point too yeah well and i think that one of the first things in the hospital when i heard stroke and it was and i had heard it and the doctor told me and put me in the room that caroline was coming to so i hadn't seen her yet and i had seen what she looked like when she went in the ambulance and they took her but and but i like you just don't know so immediately you start thinking right well what does this mean because like your whole life you get married and you think you know what your life is going to look like at least for the 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 short term and then like all those things flash in front of your in your mind of like okay well is that what our life is going to look like like is our life going to completely change like how how does this affect what we were hoping for and planning for um so like all those things immediately just rush to your mind and uh i mean we feel very fortunate that, I mean, our lives have been able to return to some sense of normalcy after it. Um, but all those things just rush to you and it, you just, and you don't have answers. Yeah. I think that's where the anger plays into it. And I know when I joined you guys the last time on the podcast, we talked a lot about anger and those emotions immediately after having the stroke, but I would go to work, I would talk to friends and I would look at other young couples and I would get so angry because I thought they aren't experiencing what we're experiencing. And why did we get dealt this hand? And we're, we're religious people. We were married in the Catholic church. And I thought, why did God give this to us? Why are we stuck with this burden? And obviously, you know, two plus years removed from it, you recognize that everyone has a burden in life and everyone's carrying something with them. And we're not alone in a struggle. They might just not be experiencing the same one that we are. And in a way it's kind of, you know, been a blessing. I think it's, it's brought us together. Yeah. I think a lot faster in our marriage, not that we weren't close before, (laughs) obviously, but it definitely has bonded us in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect segue to appreciate you sharing that. And so well said that is a segue into, you mentioned angry and I was asked recently to sort of share 
the survivor's perspective and describe it with adjectives right after the stroke. And, you know, I quickly, you know, went to all those, a lot of it begins with a like angry, annoyed, um, aggravated, you know, and I, you know, I could say like dark and, and like damaged in these words that are very negative. And, and I can, I, I'm, I'm very happy to say today through the work that Mike and I have done and talking to survivors and folks that have um, shared their stories, like you guys are doing with us that I I'm grateful. And those, those adjectives um, definitely have changed and empowered, I think is another word that comes and motivated. Um, could you, do you mind adding like a, you're early on and maybe you're both of your perspectives, where, where do you, where, if I asked you that same question, where do you, how would you describe your, where you are now? I think if you had asked me that right after the stroke and probably three to six months after the stroke, I would have said weak because that's how I felt. And Travis alluded to the fact that I'm a perfectionist. I'd like to say I'm type A, <laughs> yeah. but yes, I, I, I am very much. I like to be in control of everything. So when everything happened and at the time I was in pretty great shape and I was healthy and this happened out of nowhere and caught all of us off guard. And I felt so weak and defeated would be another word. And now just a couple of years later, having really been able to meet so many people within the stroke community and having my body bounce back to the point where we get to train for a marathon together, I think weak has become strong and resilient. And I say like, every time I go outside and I go for a run, I thank God for the fact that my legs move and that my heart beats and I can do it again. And that's not something I thought I could do when, you know, we got out of the hospital. So yeah, I think, I think time changes a lot when you're using those adjectives. I don't know about you though. Yeah. I mean, I still, um, the, the number one adjective, I said it before was helpless. Um, there's just, you just don't feel in control, especially when you're the, the caregiver, because you like, I can't, I, there's nothing I can do. Um, and I feel now I think is, and, and I've had to tell myself this through our fundraising and trying to share both of our stories, um, trying to not feel selfish in sharing my side of the story, because for me, as somebody who like, I didn't have a stroke, so I have had to tell myself it's okay. And people also need to hear how I felt because throughout a lot of this, even through the last two years, you don't, you don't take time to really think about how hard it was on yourself because obviously I know how difficult it was for her. So it's like, you try to put off all the emotions of how scared or worried or concerned you are and how that sits in the back of your head all the time. And so you, you just try to push those away because the number one thing is making sure that she's okay. But I've had to tell myself throughout this process of, especially now, that it's okay to share my side of the story. It's okay to tell people how scary it is and to understand, and hopefully sharing my side of the story can help other people who have a loved one that goes through it and help them feel okay sharing those emotions and have oh, feeling like they don't need to suppress them, that they can share them and have conversations about it. And it's not selfish. It's 
sharing what it, your side of what has happened. Um, and so I've had to really, and th that's really happened more recently for me is feeling, being okay with sharing how scared and devastated I was, um, even though it, it just happened to someone that I, I love. Yeah. It, Travis has had his own, I think, kind of stroke transformation over these last couple of years, because when it first happened, I eventually sought out therapy because I needed to talk to someone and I would come home and I would say, okay, what happened? Sit down. This is what I talked to my therapist about. And I would go through everything that we went through. And I would say, you know, she said that maybe you should come with me and maybe you should talk to a therapist too. And he was like, no, 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 I don't need to. And a lot of that time after the stroke, he, he would listen so well because he's a great listener, but he wouldn't tell me how he was feeling about it. And I think that was because you were trying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you were trying to protect me and my feelings at that time. But now it's great. Like last week we had dinner the one night and we were sitting at the table and we were having a conversation and it was one of the first times he sat there and was able to openly talk about how he felt. And I think that's probably what a lot of caregivers go through is they don't want to burden the person who has had the stroke with their feelings and emotions at the time. So they hold back, but it's great to see, you know, kind of the process of you figuring out that you lived through this as much as I did. So the number, the number one thing, and it's still, I, I still have these sinking feelings um, when it happens is that the, the number one thing I knew when there was something really wrong was when I saw her face droop and it was the whole left side of her face that just dropped when she first was having the stroke. And so the entire time in the hospital, all I would do is look and see, is it getting better? Like when she smiles, is it coming up more? Like how's her body recovering? And so when we would get home and things started to return to normal and now even years later, she'll talk out of one side of her mouth and like for a split second, you panic and you go, Oh no, is something happening again? And then things don't happen and she's okay. It's just the way she's saying something, but for a split second, you start to have that feeling again of, Oh no, what do I need to do? Um, and I didn't want to tell her that for the longest time, because once again, like I know how much she cares about like feeling like she's back. And I know that if I, I, I feared if I said something that she would just look at that all the time as like, oh, is something happening again? And then the last thing I wanted to do was concern her with that. But I think it's important for people to understand that, like, those are thoughts, processes that go through people's minds when yeah. this happens. And that, like, chances are things aren't going to be okay. And, and that's not happening again. Um, so like, but it's, it's a whole process of going through it over years time that I, I hope at some point I forget and I, I don't feel that way, but I mean, I, I don't know, it's probably going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, it's such a traumatic event. Right. And, and like you said, that hopeless word, right. It's, it's that pit in your stomach that you're hoping you never have to feel again, but yeah. every time something like that happens, you know, it, it's it could be the slightest little quirk, but you know, it's going to set that off. And to be honest, uh, not to, not to put you down, Jeff, but I don't know if that would go away, to be honest. You know, I, if I was to put myself in your situation, like probably not, you know, but I think the, the best thing you guys are doing is talking, right. It's that communication. It's, it's the ability to have those real conversations and you're fortunate, you know, because there's a lot of stroke survivors out there and, and caregivers who, 
might not be, you know, in, in successful careers with a, you know, with a, you know, steady income and a dog at home where, you know, you're able to sit around the dinner table and be comfortable to have those discussions. And, you know, what we want to do is for you, you know, for us to have this conversation this evening, share this with the audience and, and let people know that these conversations need to happen. Right. Like, and, and, yeah. you know, the, you know, whether it's a therapist or whether, whether you're just really sitting down with your loved one and, and asking them how they feel, you know, you, it, it opens up, you know, a lot of barriers that people put up that I've seen, you know, in my personal families, you know, um, you know, uh, journey post stroke. Um, you know, my dad was 28 years old, same thing as you, but, you know, he was off working two jobs, trying to raise the family and, and do all this where, you know, they, those conversations probably didn't happen as quickly as they should have. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's all part of the process. And, you know, it seems like you guys are, are in a really good position and, you know, you're supporting each other. You have, what is it? Winston is yeah, the Winston, dog's name. Dog. Winston. So you Winston. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's exciting. And, you know, I'd love to kind of, you know, talk about this next step now, right? Because, you know, when we think about marathon training, um, it's it's much like stroke recovery, right? We, Dave and I have started to, you know, say about, you know, what we're trying to do with Enable Us, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and, and, you know, let's, let's talk more about like the training aspect there and, and maybe how, you know, you've trained for this half marathon, and now you're trying to go for the full marathon. So like, how does that relate again into stroke recovery? And like our theme this month is all around goal setting, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, the new year, obviously a lot of people have that in mind. Um, so, so talk about like, you know, kind of starting small, you know, seeing that, seeing the end goal, but kind of working step-by-step to get there. It seems like this is something you've done, but is there any advice or kind of any ways you guys are approaching it and specifically? So we, so this has been I don't know, a couple years, not not a couple years, about a couple months in the making. Yeah. But the the running part of it, we started running back in like 2016 or 2017. Trained for a half marathon, and at the time, I hadn't run more than three miles um, continuously. So yeah. we had to put out a plan, and we had had a calendar in my apartment and it said how many miles we had to run on what days. And we would cross them off every time we came back and it felt so good. We would go out there and run 10 miles and cross it off. And we ended up getting to the half and it was really fun. We did a few more. So, and when we went into the wedding, we were both in great shape. And then as Travis alluded to, you know, we came out of the stroke. I had said to him about three weeks or four weeks after the stroke, I don't want to sit inside anymore. I want to go exercise. Please let me go. And, and I didn't want to, because like the last thing I wanted is for something to happen. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I need to go outside. I can't do this, but I couldn't do any other type of activity. I, I could not go to the gym. I could not lift weights. I didn't feel strong enough on my left side. I couldn't lay on the ground and do an ab workout because my head could not be down like that. I couldn't do a push up because I couldn't face down because my head would hurt. So we went out for this three mile run and it was so slow. It was so painful and so defeating because I think our mile times, well, my mile times, he was just you know, running beside me, <laughs> were two minutes greater than our average mile, my average mile time 
pre-stroke. So that's a lot. (laughs) So I came back and I felt so defeated, but I felt great. And I said to him that December, we need to run a half marathon. So we set the goal, we ran Providence. And after that, we thought, okay, let's, let's do a marathon at some point. And then, you know, sure enough, I, I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason. And that's when I got introduced to you, David, and like Teddy's team came up and it just, it all oh, came together at once. So, I'm uh, I'm smiling ear to ear because you, you started the show or you mentioned that, you know, now you're at a phase where, Hey, we're just going to, we have, we have 10 miles on the calendar tomorrow <laughs> from where you were and what you mentioned and your pace. And, and, you know, and to Mike's point, that's what our, that's the message that a lot of our survivors need to hear early and at whatever stage of recovery that, that milestone may be being able to do that flight of stairs to get up, to be able to be a little bit more independent, um, but that shows the possibility of, um, you know, putting in the time to your recovery. And now your goals are certainly much higher um, and, and maybe higher than many of our survivors will ever achieve. Um, something that stuck to me really early on when I ran my first marathon was Teddy's team was, and I think it came from Teddy himself who said, there's, there's, there's something like 1% of the population can say they've ever run a marathon. And that really hit me. Like that was like, wow. Um, And it's, you've set your goals high, the dedication that that comes with. It's not, it's, it's much like a path to recovery where um, you have to have an end game and an end goal. And, and it has to be specific targeted goals and, and it can't be anything more, um, discipline that comes with running a marathon and training, especially Boston, especially New England, especially training through the cold weather, um, learning about all the tricks and tips that you need to pick up along the way to make that happen. And then hearing about terms like, what's this goo stuff that I have to stick in my mouth when I'm training? And uh, what's this stuff I have to put on my legs so they're not chafing and parts I don't want them to chafe? You know, um, but it's... Um, I'm like, I'm, I really, um, I'm so, you know, excited for you guys. And let, let, let's talk to maybe a little bit more about the other half that comes with training. That's, that's hard. The other part is when you're doing this on a mission and you're doing this to be able to support a cause and a great cause in that and Teddy's team, um, Talk to us about the other half that we'd like to help you out, which is the the fundraising component to raise awareness. And these these things that they don't happen without, you know, we talk about the goal and the, the goo and the fuel for recovery and training, but there's funds that needed to advance research and to, yeah. you know, champion some of the causes that Teddy's team gets behind. Can you talk about like what um, what type of strategy you have for your fundraising and how maybe we can help here? Sure. Um, I mean, the number one thing that I keep telling people about this experience and why we're raising money for Teddy's team is that I wish when we went through what we went through, that we wouldn't, we would have known that this was a possibility because I think the hardest part of the whole thing was first of all, like I knew what a stroke was, but never in a million years did I think that my wife at 27 was having a stroke in our kitchen when it happened, because 
that's just not something that you, a healthy 27 year old is not somebody you associate to somebody that's having a stroke. Um, so my number one goal has been to make sure that, and I know Caroline does it on her social media as well. It's like, make sure that people understand that this could happen. So if it does happen to somebody and they've heard our story, that at least then they understand, oh, okay, we're not alone. And like, there are people that we can reach out to. And we're not, I mean, because all we would hear in the hospital, and it comes back to the running thing, is that, you know, they would hear that Caroline had run all these half marathons. And they'd be like, oh, you're the, you're the one that's, that's run a half marathon. Like, and they were almost surprised that she was there, just like we, like we couldn't believe we were there. And so I, the biggest thing that I, one of the, and I, obviously the research is really, really important, but I, people need to understand that no matter what the age or physical condition, like there are ways that this can happen. And so like, if it happens to you or somebody you love, you're not alone and you're not some strange, weird case. Like th this is like, it happens and there's ways to get through it and you're going to figure something out. And so that my mission and the fundraising has been, and that's been like my message to people. It's like, I, I wish that I would have been more locked into the things that Teddy's team has been spreading when we were before it happened, because I think it would have given us so much more comfort when we did have go through everything. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously very, we're very thankful that it, we were uh, connected with Teddy's team when we were, because it really did help the recovery process. But I, I hope people that before anything ever happens, and hopefully it doesn't happen to some, to you or somebody you love, but that you understand that like, if it does, like you're, you're not alone in this whole process. Well, and I think it's tough too, for people to understand that because we would never have been connected to Teddy's team if it weren't for this truly. No. So I think that's why I'm sure some people probably view it as spam, but I will spam people's Instagrams and Twitters and Facebook pages to let them know that this organization exists and that there are warning signs out there, but to bounce off of that, you know, the research is so important. I think it was the 2016 or 2017 journal from the American Heart Association said that ischemic stroke, which is a blood clot traveling to your brain, which is what I had, that rates overall were down, but then rates among people 27 to 45 had increased, I think doubled during that time. That's terrifying. Yeah. And we don't know that people, I wouldn't have known that before all of this had happened. And there's so many things that are contributing to that. So I think the research is so important and so crucial because if there's something out there that we are consuming as a medication, we are consuming as a lifestyle, we are doing because it's something that we like to do, anything that's contributing to this, the more young people know, the better off we are. Yeah. And then I think the other part of it is, you know, I'm two plus years out, but I'm still paying off my hospital bills. And that's really tough. You talk about the emotional and the physical burden after having a life-changing medical event. The, the financial burden is just awful. Yeah. I, when I looked at the amount of money it cost just for me to be in the ICU for three nights, it's crazy. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So for Teddy's team to be able to go and do this, I, I believe they call it the CAP Project Community Assistance Program. Mm -hmm. um, I hope I'm getting that right. But to be able to help other survivors who possibly need some kind of experimental treatment or 
a life-saving surgery or something and to help them financially with that, that's, that's really important because the last thing you want to deal with when you're already going through so much in life is then to be handed from a hospital or your insurance company, some kind of invoice for thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. So everything that this organization does is so important. And the message I think we're trying to get out there is it may not mean anything to you now, but if someone in the United States has a stroke every 40 seconds, guarantee at some point in your life, this organization and the message of Teddy's team is going to mean something to you. So invest early on. I think it will pay dividends in the long run. Uh, you know, you hope that no one deals with this, but we didn't expect to. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well said. I mean, that. I think we're going to be using that for a sound bite, guys. That was. <laughs> 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 um, so you're also doing something pretty exciting on the sponsorship side by sponsoring, and, and I'll let you talk about it, but there's 26.2 miles in a marathon, right? So talk about what your approach is for, per mile. So we've tried to come up with all these different ways to fundraise because, so our goal is $18,000. And when we signed up for this, I got accepted and I got the phone call and I was like, okay, so this is going to be my goal. And then Travis got the phone call and I said, okay, well, we have to double it. And that's really daunting to raise $18,000. If we can do it, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So we've been trying to be creative and we thought one of the things that would be really cool to do because we've met so many survivors is to dedicate a mile to every mile to either a survivor or someone we know through someone else who's passed away from stroke. And, you know, kind of the sad part of it is I was at the outlets the other day and I'm walking around and thinking, and I have a running list on my phone of all of the people I'd like to ask if I can honor them. And my list is just filling up. And I think it's so such a stark reminder that this is happening to so many people and that we now know so many people who are going through this. So we, we want to honor everyone that we can in those 26.2 and then have people sponsor a mile. So you are sponsoring a survivor. You're sponsoring someone who's passed a stroke. I think it'll be a nice way to, you know, raise money, but also when we're on mile, 15 and the legs are kind of starting to hurt a little bit. Okay. Well, miles, you know, 15 is dedicated to so-and-so and they've been through a lot more in the last, you know, few years than we have. So that's kind of the mission of it. Yeah. And I, I think really what we want people to do, if you, you want to donate and you can donate to our team and you do have somebody that you're doing it in memory of, or because they have, are a survivor and you, you want us to think of them, like we want you to reach out because yeah. those are the, those are the stories that um, I, I know, I mean, Caroline is connected with so many different survivors. And every time that I hear her tell about somebody else's story, it's just, it's heartbreaking, but it's also inspiring to see what people can accomplish even after the hands that they're dealt. And so as we're trying to accomplish something that I don't think either one of us ever thought we would do a couple of years ago in, in running a marathon, much less the Boston Marathon, we want to use the survivors or the memories of people to get us across the finish line. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. And, and we're definitely going to um, 
be behind you in 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 your efforts and anything that we can add in the show notes and in, in pushing out this episode and and maybe you know we have time on our hands right now we still have while you guys lay down the miles the hard miles the cold hard miles cold. we can work on the back end to support that I'll be we will be speaking with a lot of folks um, in other community support group situations and where as we you know as you get your story out there too. Um, and, you know, um, certainly we'll refer to this episode today because the, 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 what you both shared this evening, um, is so many people need to hear this. Um, not, and Travis, I really appreciate you being able to recognize that, um, what you just told needs to, needs to, especially from a younger couple that can, the maturity there to be able to understand that it's okay. I, I, it's okay if I um, don't want to tell my part of the story, but what you just did is so valuable. Um, and I can't thank you enough because I know so many um, families from over the years that it's, it's, this event has divided, not united. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. Um, and I think along the way here and telling your story, you might have actually even um, on, might have inspired Michael, my co-host. He's I think he's thinking about stepping up his fitness goals. Um, so <laughs> put me on the spot. <laughs> are you doing what? You, what are you getting at here? I tell <laughs> you what, well, okay. So all I my... was, listen, all I was going to say, I, and I don't know where you're going, but all I was going to say is I'll a hundred percent be there, but holding a, a big sign, you know, in support. Okay. We'll be, so a, that's we'll all, be a, that's, a mile that's the only, like, that's the only commitment I just wanted to hear this year that you're going to be, you're going to get in the spirit of the marathon and you're going to be at mile 16 with my daughter and I, cause we'll be there. We, wherever you guys yeah. need us, when you get when you get into your long run and you know where you're going to be needing it the yeah. most, you let us know. We'll, we'll be there. Um, but what we can do is be there and and help you come up with ways to make sure you reach that other goal of that eighteen thousand um, dollars, because yeah. I know that's really important to the work that still needs to be done. Um, yeah. And and who knows in twenty twenty three perhaps you know mr garrow might be i think he's i think he's i think he's i think he's checking out with this mic no i'm not here not hearing a commitment right <laughs> i don't know now. what you're saying what was that? <laughs> sorry david no no um, don't know if the news can hang <laughs> all just- the work I do sometimes feel like when we're, when I'm out there, because we haven't really been able to train at all together just because of our work schedules, they're different. Mm. And there's sometimes I'm like, this is 12 miles. There are 14 more that we have to do. This is going to be a lot, but I think too, it, it's kind of not kind of cool. It's really cool. This is one of the most prestigious marathons in the world. So to be able to do, I mean, this is our first marathon. So to be able to do one and for it to be Boston in one of the coolest cities in the country with the crowd that's there, I I think it's going to be a really great time. And to know that when we cross that finish line, hopefully we've raised thousands and thousands of dollars for such an important organization and cause. 
I'm I, like, it gives me goosebumps. I'm really there's, excited. There's absolutely well, a reason I have a, sh- a, a shrine to Boston behind me is because <laughs> that's how big it was. And I'm going to give you one tip and I'm sorry, I cut you off there, Travis. When you, when you, so mild, that home stretch on Boylston, the pain will go away. You'll be floating <laughs> every pain, every ache. You will enjoy that home stretch more than anything in the world. And you'll enjoy the after party at the Lennox too with Tenny's team, but yeah. make sure and equally as rewarding because the, the hard work and the training are over, enjoy the nights before and enjoy your, your number pickup and enjoy that whole process of being in Boston for that experience. Cause you really realize people come from all over the world to get yeah. a dose of Boston. And I'll give you one big tip. Cause they go fast when you get through and you get your number, don't lose sight of these. These are probably the most valuable things. Um, every year when I think Adidas does this, but every year, um, everyone who's registered to run the marathon, you can't see from here, but, the posters go quick because your name is on that poster. After oh. ingrained deep within every 30 some odd thousand names are on the front and back of this poster. Oh, that's so, so cool. It's like is next to next to the medallion you get for crossing. It's the it's the coolest thing to have. And so um, my tip and I have one more prop. And so maybe folks will go to the YouTube. So in addition to that, I'm like, here it comes, Mike. I started the show. Are you ready? Okay. They've upped the game over the years, but I want you, I want you to visualize the finish line. You're going to be wrapped in one of these. Okay. It's the most rewarding thing. What does that do? Well, I always see people wrapped in those at the finish line, but what does that mean? Is it good for your body after you run that far? Um, you know, the, when you do stop after being a furnace firing like that for 26.2 miles, um, you mm-hmm. can, you can get cold really quick and you know, the weather, you never know what the weather is going to be, especially if it's raining or, you know, some years it can be extremely yeah. hot and other years cold. It's just, it keeps, it keeps your, it, tries to keep your core temperature while you refuel, but you'll be, you'll be, you'll be wrapped in that. You'll, you'll, you'll have the full complement of support to get you, you know, including, you know, um, helping you to uh, a rest station if you need it, but um, it's a phenomenal experience is my point. So I'm so happy. And, and um, I, 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 um, I really want you to enjoy it as much as you have to run 10 plus miles tomorrow, but what you just mentioned um, and, and you're, you're, you're going to look back and say this, this was a big part of the whole healing process. So yeah. I'm sorry. I cut you off Travis. <laughs> no, I, I, you, it, you kind of led me right into what I was going to say, which is it, between the fundraising and the marathon. I, I think you look at it. They're both like their own, versions of the race, which is very similar to what the recovery process is like, both physically and emotionally. And so, you know, we, the recovery is, is always ongoing. I know for both of us, uh, emotionally and, and for her physically, and you look at it like the, the marathon training, it's okay. We've got a long run, but the next long run is only a mile or two further than you went before. So it's baby steps. So while yeah. you look at it at the end, you're supposed to run 26. 
like this week we're running 10 and then the next week you're going to run 12 and then the week after that you're going to run 14 but you can't look too far ahead you just have to kind of tackle what's in front of you and fundraising that's the maybe harder than even running because you're like all right well we're at a thousand dollars and now we just want to get to 1100 and then you so it's step by step and then eventually you can look you hope that you can look back and look at everything you've accomplished but i think in the time just like in recovery you just have to take it one step at a time and and slowly but surely you hope that you get there to the finish line yeah that's such a good point to not look too far ahead of you because i think that was one of the hardest things when we were going through everything at the time was thinking six months down the line or a year down the line what life would look like and what kind of situation we would be in and as we were facing a very difficult diagnosis it became even harder but you know, going back to work, starting to run, starting to feel a little bit normal day after day makes a huge difference. So yeah, I think it really translates well to the whole training process, which knock on wood has gone okay so far. So, far. so um, just, you know, hope for no injuries. Take it, That's it. Hydrate. Yeah. Hydrate. Yeah. Yeah, you, I have full faith in you guys. And thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're gonna need that. <laughs> and I, I will promise, David, I will be there at one of the miles. Like we said, don't we'll we're keeping our word on that. And you'll be um, there at the starting line to run the whole thing too. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Headphones are going out again. Yeah. <laughs> we we, uh, we just I think we just officially got a micro commitment from Michael for twenty twenty four okay. i'll give you two yeah i could i mean i could see it happening okay potentially. all right hey we'll I, I, I never say never you know you could it's it's in the it's on the cards we could oh. we could do it <laughs> well, guys <laughs> this has been absolutely great um i know um you're um you have you have a road ahead of you but we're you know we're on your team and we are going to be watching you every step of the way and anything we can do to support um, your continued awareness and, um, you know, um, fundraising around this effort where we'd be, you know, glad to do what we can do for sure. Thank you guys. Seriously. Yeah. Every podcast you put out, it helps so much. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to say, it's not like David to actually wrap a podcast up. David never wraps it, wraps it up, which I'm surprised about because I have we're walking away, David, without even saying the magic, asking the magic wand question. I don't know how you're letting this slip, but I'm going to we're so Travis, you know, for you and you, I'm sure you've heard um, Caroline's response to this and, and you know, kind of you, you've given us some gems here. And, you know, th- again, thank you again for, you know, for sharing all that you have. But. In a, in a few short sentences, can you try to describe, we, uh, we ask every guest, and you are, you are this, a first episode with dual guests here, or however we want to call it, but um, if we were to hand you a magic wand, you know, how would you redesign the stroke rehab process? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a tough question. It is a tough question. Um, I think in, in terms of me or for, or for Caroline? Um, you have a magic wand, Miss. So you could do whatever you want. Okay. Like, I, I, <laughs> um, the, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, from your perspective, let's hear it from a caregiver perspective. Yeah. yeah, I, um, I think 
something very similar to what Caroline hit on is that I would love to have been connected to somebody who was in a similar age group and situation that I was in and been told, Hey, like it, it's going to be okay. And it's okay to feel the way you are and it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be vulnerable in this situation. Um, and that like, you may feel helpless, but like all you can do is try to do the best you can to make sure that they're comfortable and happy one day at a time. And then, and just do your best. And that's going to be okay. Um, because I think that's the, the hardest part of going through it all was trying to tackle that and like feeling at times like you're alone in fighting that because like, you don't want to burden the person who obviously just had this life-changing uh, medical issue, just had this stroke. So the, you're, you kind of, you bring it all in. So I, I do wish that I had known somebody else that was in a similar situation that could tell me those things. Cause that's, if I, could tell myself two and a half years ago, like that's what I would tell myself. That's exactly what I said. Perfect. Very like. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'll I'll make one call to action. Um, for many who don't know that Caroline is the voice of the opening to the No Stroke podcast, <laughs> um, it'll be so cool that we, you'll actually be opening your own next episode and. <laughs> With everyone, since we have time on our side, with every episode that our listeners hear you introduce the show, you're probably going to be out running miles while they're in warm, probably listening to the show, or maybe they're all what maybe you just inspire them to be walking alongside the miles that you two are doing. So when when you think about how we can support that effort maybe we can put together a challenge for you know every episode played or every time someone has a benefit of hearing stories like you just shared that maybe they inspire to do what they can to to help raise that bar up to that 18 so yeah. um i think um all i have to say left is mike i i'm going to say good luck to you both <laughs> and thank you again for sharing your time. And I'm not going to go on anymore, Mike. So you can take us out tonight. <laughs> oh, don't put that pressure on me, David. Well, thank you both again. Um, you know, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I think this was, you know, personally one of my favorite episodes, you know, Travis, what, what you shared from a caregiver perspective, um, you know, I think it's going to help a lot of people and, you know, kind of help me as well tonight. So thank you for that. And, you know, again good luck continue mm -hmm. forward we like what we said you know brick by brick just yeah. you'll you'll get there and it'll be a journey but so that's what that's what it's all about so mm -hmm. um yeah with that i think this is episode what david are we wrapping up here this is episode three of season Oof. three wow we're moving wow. right along yeah and to think you were the inaugural guest yeah <laughs> i feel so honored it's going so 18. well 19 episodes in and you were you had faith in us and believed in us so we're going to believe in you and both of your your next steps here so together we'll take the next step forward so thank you both um thank you, thank you. hydrate and get ready for that next run tomorrow yeah we, we will, will. <laughs> take care guys thanks. thank you thanks
Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting stroke thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.